Happy New Year. This is our first Investor Guys podcast of 2020. Holy cow. Streamers and banners. I I forgot. Yeah. Holy cow. But uh, coming up on three years in a couple of months that we have been doing this show together. And we're coming up on uh, almost 200 shows here pretty quick, too. Um, This year is going to be a different year. We uh, made some commitments last year to go ahead and start offering more resources uh, start giving more step-by-steps. Uh, some of the things I'm doing with some of my other podcasts is uh, I'm telling people to, to to get a ledger, get a get a journal and start taking notes, okay? And write them down as goals. Write them down as something that's actionable for you. So if you hear Bill and I talk about something that is interesting to you and you want to learn more about it, write it down. Learn more about whatever it is that yeah. you want to learn. Uh, or Start doing more whatever types of deals it is that you're listening to us talking about. And that could be send Kevin and Bill an email and ask them more about this or send Kevin and Bill an email and ask them to cover such and such. Because there are so many different topics out there that we just, I mean, we try to pull things out of our head that we think you guys are interested in. But if you're interested in something, let us know and we'll do a show or two or three about it. Um, But All these are things we're going to be doing this year. We are going to make this the year of you. I tell people all the time, 2023 is actually the year of the rabbit. Okay. And you you watch those old 80s shows and you got those guys, "Ah, this is the year of Calvin. This is the year of Bob, you know, or the summer of, I guess. This is the year of Kevin. This is the year of Bill. This is the year of you, whatever that might be. Um, My camera's getting out of focus, but hopefully it'll fix itself in a minute. Yeah. We were going to talk about uh, subject two. Yep. I'm going to let you lead off with that because I'm I'm going to do that. And uh, because one of my favorite things, um, there are, I I want to make a a comment on you mentioned goals. I want to make a real brief goals comment that's incredibly powerful. Um, It took me a while to understand the way to write my goals out, not to have goals, but the way you actually structure what the goal says. And one of the, the early mistakes that I was making years and years and years ago was that sometimes I would use a negative in my goal writing. I'll I'll give you an example. In my early twenties, right out of, of college at Bama, I'm working for uh, truck lines. It's since been gobbled up. It used to be called Carolina Freight. They were the third or fourth largest truck lines in the country. They came into Alabama. I was hired as part of the expansion sales team. So year and a half into that, my boss comes to me and, and he goes, you know, what do, what do you think? What are your goals? I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I, I want to move into management. And that's been one of my goals. And, and he goes, okay, we, we have an issue. And I'm like, what? And he goes, you're the best salesperson that we have in the new region, which was four states. You're number one, crushing it and everything. However, your paperwork sucks. I'm like, well, yeah, it's all about results. I got, you know, and, I'm, and, I, and he goes, yeah. But when you go into management, you will never get there because of your paperwork. So I had amended a goal and said, I'm never going to be late on paperwork again. 
because eventually I would get it done. That doesn't work in the corporate world. I eventually would get the paperwork done. I got the business immediately. And I was doing so much more business than anybody else. I was like, yeah, I'm in great shape. But they want to see that balance. And so I was like, I'm never going to be late on paperwork again. Well, a couple of months go down the road. I'm fighting that and it's not happening for me. And I reviewed it with my boss, who was also a very big Zig Ziglar fan. And uh, so we talked about Zig a lot. So I reviewed it with him and he goes, you're writing your goal in a negative. Never is a negative. It's like, don't write it. I'm never going to be late again. Write it as I'm going to be spot on, on time, every time with my paperwork, because that's who I am. And it changes it from a negative statement to a positive statement. And I, through the years, and that's, gosh, that's been 40-something years ago. I've met so many people that would write a goal out, and it would they would write it out negatively, not thinking they were writing it negatively. But when you, when an outside pair of eyes looks at it, you go, oh, that's a negative goal. So be sure you're not doing that. I'll just, that was it. So subject to, go ahead. Well, real quick, the other thing is a lot of people list their goals out as just the list. And one of the, one of the examples is, and, and everybody does this for the new year. I want to lose weight. So this right, lose weight. You know, if you want to lose weight, write it out how you're going to do that. I want to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get a gym membership. I'm going to go once a day after work. I'm going to start eating better, more fruits and vegetables. I'm going to start shopping at whatever it is, Whole Foods or Publix or whatever it is that you can get to, that produce and that, that, that meat and that stuff that's good for you. Write those out so that you're not just yeah. looking at it. it doesn't say just lose weight. Okay. Yeah. Because if you write actions that it's going to take to get you to that point. Because that's exactly what we're talking about. If you write, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, the likelihood is not going to happen because your mind has said to you a million times, you're not a loser. And if you write, I'm going to lose your mind has a conflict. Marshall Silver uh, taught me this. We're, <clears throat> I have a, a friend, I've never been a smoker, but I was talking to him about a friend uh, smoking and he goes, they they can't quit, can they? I'm like, no. He goes, it's so simple. It's a chasm, but it's this big. And it's, everybody's like, I'm going to quit smoking. And like, no, because you've been taught your whole life. What? You're not a quitter. He said, once I teach people that I'm not a smoke, I don't smoke. I'm not a smoker. I wasn't born a smoker. Smoking's not who I am. That's different than I'm going to quit something because we've been ingrained to not be a quitter. We've been ingrained not to be a loser. So instead, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm getting in the best shape of my life. I'm getting in the best health I've been in my life. And like you said, I'm getting there because I'm eating right. I'm exercising more. And look, the, the simplest diet plan that ever existed on work that never, ever, ever, never, ever fails is eat less, move more. Done. Over. That's it. How you go about doing that, okay, that's up to you. Uh, so, yeah. Put some energy behind it, too. I used to tell my sons all the time, if you're going to do something, scream it out, stomp your foot, and make it happen, you know? I'm going to, I'm going to get an A, stop your foot and yell, you know, in science, whatever it is. 
Because that, yeah, because that anchors it to exactly. you. Exactly. And, 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 and put that energy into it, uh, put it out there into the universe and put it into your brain. You know, I told yep. him first thing in the morning, you know, and I'd hear him up there in the morning, screaming out things and stomping on the floor. Uh, do it. It may sound silly, but it works. No. Yeah. And they saw it work and it, it, you'll feel good about it in the morning because you'll well, open yourself up and everybody else. If you're living in an apartment building. So if you are, if you ever follow any of Tony Robbins, Tony always ties a physical action. It's a trigger. And we've all learned about triggers uh, since, since the pandemic. Uh, I, I went yesterday, yesterday, I went into a store in Dallas, went into an appliance store, a, uh, an appliance outlet center for Best Buy to pick up some appliance for some flips I'm doing. Five people standing together, like waiting for somebody to come in. Oh, here I am. Every one of them have masks on. Well, that's a trigger for me. <laughs> so I'll end up, they're like, how are you? I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, well, we can't understand. You're like, yeah. Why are you wearing a mask? It's 2023. Are you? Of course, they were all like 25 and under. I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to get on a roll with that as I did. And it's time for us to go into the next segment and actually talk about subject. Subject two. (laughs) And we are back in our first segment. We we, we talked about goal setting. It's important. We've done shows on goal setting before. Um, Check them out and we'll do shows on goal setting again in the future. But grab your journal. Keep that book handy. Start notes at very least um turn those into actionable goals which you're interested in but let's talk about subject two let's explain first of all what is subject two and why it's called subject two and before we move on kevin and i uh had a nice discussion in the break about triggers we're not going to go into that we'll be here all day however uh subject two Subject two is a real estate trigger for me you got to be doing subject two there's good triggers bad triggers there's a good trigger right here this is moving into where the market is right now and where the market is going for the next few years. Look, forget the political environment. The real estate market was due a correction. We're in it. Is it going to get significantly more noticeable? Absolutely it is. Now, for Kevin in Florida, for me in Texas, it's way less for us. And if you live in those states, way less noticeable but it is still going to impact us. Now, outside of those states, uh, Nevada and Arizona will fit that criteria. If you're in any states, you're in 48 other states, other than the four, those four, uh, you're going hit, to get hit hard. And if you're in some of those um, decidedly blue, we're going to tax you out your wazoo states, it's going to get ugly. Subject two is a great way to help the seller, to help yourself, help your community. So whatever order you put that in, look, we all do things because it helps us first. That's why everybody does everything they do, period. I don't care what it is. Oh, I go work at a food shelf. Well, that's not because it helps me. Yes, it is. It's because you get more personal satisfaction out of that. That's why you do that. Uh, so, and please go support your food shelters and do that. So, subject two is 
somebody's behind, they're in pre-foreclosure, they could be in foreclosure, and the definition of subject to, what that phrase means, is that there is a mortgage that exists on this property. No, gee, what a shock. There's a mortgage that exists on this property. So I'm buying it, acknowledging or subject to the fact that this property has a mortgage on it. I understand this mortgage must be serviced and or at some point paid off. That's what I'm subject to. I'm subject to the existing mortgage. So, so when I go out terms, and I see the terms of the existing mortgage. So not just paying it off, not just satisfying it, but paying it when it's due. Uh, right. Interest yep. that it requires subject to all of the terms of that mortgage. So subject to it, it, the underlying it, mortgage in place. A simple analogy for that is when we look at if you've ever bought rental property that was occupied. When you bought that property. So let's just let's just make it plain. So if you had a single family house has a family living in it. You buy that property. It's a rental property. You buy it. You're going to keep it. You may use it as a flip. Doesn't matter. There is a lease that exists on that property with the family living in there. When you buy that property, you are legally bound to honor that lease until that lease ends. Doesn't matter. You can't change anything about that lease. You can't up the rate, lower the rate. I'm sure they'd let you lower it, but you can't do anything against that lease. That lease exists and it has priority over whatever you're planning on doing with the property. So you are buying that property subject to the existing lease with the tenants. No different. We're buying this property subject to the existing mortgage with the bank or mortgage company, whatever it happens to be. So now when you understand that, there are going to be a lot of people right now. We're already seeing this as a huge uptick and it's going to get more significant going forward of people that are going into default. Now, default is pre-foreclosure. Pre-foreclosure is if your uh, mortgage payment is due on the 1st and late on the 15th, on the 16th, you're in default, whether the mortgage company or the bank takes any action against you or not, they legally have the right to. You're technically in default at that moment. At that moment, you are technically in pre-foreclosure. Whether they're moving forward or not, that's their decision, not yours. That's their decision. So you're in pre-foreclosure. And what we're looking for are those homeowners that are in default. And many of them are going to be looking at, hey, especially in the economic uh, conditions that we're in with inflation going up, employment going down, those kind of things. And those are going to get, inflation's going to get worse. Um, employment is going to continue to get worse. And so when that's happening, people are like, I can't afford my house anymore. Now we saw this in 07 through 12, where people walked away from their homes because they said, hey, my home's upside down. I owe more on it than it's worth. And they walked away. Idiotic, stupid. That is a stupid financial move. It is an idiotic financial move. Why? Because we've seen, as real estate always does, it recoups, it gets back to zero, and then it takes off again. And right now, we're in that 
downward mode where the values are going down. And there, and again, outside of those four states, Nevada, Arizona, Texas, and Florida, they're going to drop a lot faster. And there are going to be people just walking away because they, they've got that mentality. My home is not worth this. I can't afford to do this. It's their home. That's the thing that really drives me nuts. But anyway, they're going to walk away from their home. Their credit, if they go into foreclosure, is going to get destroyed. If, you're, if you don't know this, let me tell you this. You are better off having a bankruptcy on your credit report than you are foreclosure. Because when you move forward buying another property, they look at a bankruptcy and go, hmm, what, whatever date that was, it's seven to 10 years, depending on which phase of bankruptcy it is. But it's a minimum seven, it's a max of 10, it's seven to 10 years that you can't file again. So they're in good shape. Now, why does that make them in good shape is because the historical average with Americans is around five years. A little less sometimes, a little more sometimes, but it's about five years that we own our home. We typically move about every five years on an average nationally. So if that's the national average and you just file and you can't do anything for seven or if you do the other one, it's 10. If I'm a lender, I'm going, we're in pretty good shape because the likelihood is they're going to move before they can even file banks again, even if they wanted to. So are we break time? Hey, we're, we're coming right up on break. And okay. it's there's so many different facets to this. Hopefully we can cover as many as yep. possible on this. But yeah, we're going to really quick. This is when, two when, or three shows anyway. Yeah. When we went through this last time, what Bill was saying, 07, 08, 09, 10, I picked up, I'm sure Bill did, picked up a lot of properties. I actually picked up properties that were current but they knew that they were not going to be able to stay current. I picked up properties from investors who didn't purchase their properties right, who were no longer able to finance their investment properties and keep their original home. So I picked up properties in places that you'd be surprised. I picked up properties in California. I picked up properties in Florida. I picked up properties in New York State, close to New York City, uh, out on Long Island, in fact. Um, you'd be surprised what is out there. And when we get back really quick, I'm going to tell a real quick story about Texas uh, and and how this has happened before and how it happens locally sometimes without being a national event. We'll be back in just a yep. minute. No problem. But uh, you said it's still not doing it. Pause. There we go. And we're back. And uh, we have to. Quite <laughs> uh, a little slow. I, I wanted to share a quick story, and, and Bill, you you were you'll remember this, whether it affected you or not, or whether you were in the market or not. Back in the eighties, when oil hit a slump, hit a huge, huge slump. Uh, also in Houston, uh, the Johnson Space Center laid off tens of, of well, maybe not tens of thousands, but thousands of people. And it was a double whammy for Houston, but it was a whammy for, for, for Dallas. It was a whammy for uh, Austin. It was a whammy for San Antonio and even El Paso and Amarillo. And in fact, it, it devastated Amarillo. People who had jobs in those industries in the 80s, they literally would move everything out of their house, put the key in the door and walk away from their property because they no longer had a job. They no longer had a way to pay for that property. They're getting in their car and they're going someplace else to find 
work someplace else. Uh, because Texas was so heavy into oil at the time and so heavy in, in the Houston area into the Johnson Space Center that when both of those things collapsed at the same time, it really hurt Houston. It really hurt Amarillo. Amarillo is a huge, huge oil town. Uh, Dallas, I remember skyscrapers in Dallas being boarded up on the first floors. The entire buildings went empty because they did not have enough demand for tenant leases for office space. So there are events that can happen locally, such as those that are not necessarily a national event. So pay attention to what is going on in different cities. Pay attention to what is going on in different states, different markets, because there are opportunities that present themselves that are different based upon what the national market is doing. For example, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm picking up properties that were devastated by Hurricane Ian. That is not a national event. That is not something you're going to be able to do in Texas. Not something you're going to be able to do in California. You know, walk to your local uh, real estate agent and say, hey, you know what? I'm looking for some uh, properties that were devastated by Hurricane Ian in Burbank. And say, you're an idiot. So pay attention to what's going on and, and maximize your opportunities. There's no reason yeah. to have yeah. to invest in your backyard. I hear people say that all the time, start in your backyard, start in your backyard. It, it is easier, but you do not have to invest in your own backyard. The money is the same no matter where you are. I'm going to let you continue on your role for uh, subject twos. Yeah. So here, here's what a subject two is. So we established that it's based on the fact there's a mortgage on the property already. So we're taking it over knowing that there's a mortgage. Now we're going to take it over and we're going to help the seller do several things. One, they're going to, we're going to take this debt off of their plate. Two, most people think that when they buy a property subject to or a seller, when they sell a property subject to, that is actually going to burden them on the ability to buy another property. It actually helps them buy another property. One, they likely in many cases, not all, but in many cases, they haven't been making their payments. With a subject to property, that payment has to be caught up. So we're gonna catch it up and we're gonna make those payments on time going forward, us as the buyer, which, builds the credit of the seller. But here's the other thing. For the seller, they get to list this as an income producing piece of property. I have a piece of property. I'm doing seller financing on it. This is what the seller is saying to an underwriting moving forward. I have a piece of property. I'm doing seller financing on it. My payment is $2,200. I'm getting paid 23 and a quarter. I have $125 a month of positive cash flow. So what that does is actually makes them more attractive to an underwriter than less attractive. And so you have to walk the seller through this so that they understand, oh, because this is going to be the biggest objection you're going to have. Yeah, but if I do that, I'm not going to be able to buy another house. No, incorrect. It's actually easier to buy another house, but you have to, as the buyer, as the investor, you have to explain this process to them and what it means and what underwriters are looking for. So when we go out, so how do we find these? The pre-foreclosure world is the greatest pool of possible subject to deals. So when you go in and buy a property in pre-foreclosure, you're going to buy it one or two ways. You're either just going to buy it outright or you're going to buy it as seller financing which is buying it subject to. I understand that there's a mortgage on it. 
I'm going to pay the mortgage and I may give the seller, the homeowner, I may give them a little extra money monthly, or I may give them equity up front, down payment. Likely I'm giving them both. So we'll just pick a number. It's a $500,000 uh, purchase and they've been in it for 10 years. They've got $100,000 in equity. Okay. <clears throat> so our discussion is one, I'm going to catch up your back payments. So this foreclosure process either does not start or if it started, it's going to stop. So let's say they're, they're 10,000 down on payment. So I'm going to pay them 10. They had a hundred thousand in equity. I'm already giving them 10. So now their equity at retail is down to 90. So now I'm looking at how do we handle this? Well, first of all, you know, I'm an investor, so I'm not going to pay you retail. So let's start talking about that. So maybe I agree to give them 40 grand. Okay. How am I going to give that to them? I may give it to them monthly. I may give them five now and five a month for the next eight months. I may give a lump sum. I may give them an extra thousand for the next 40 months, whatever it happens to be. That's a negotiated point. And it gets them to where we make the payments directly to the mortgage company. You do not give the seller the money to catch the mortgage up. You pay the mortgage directly to the mortgage company. And you do that because if you give it to the seller, you may never see it again. It may get gone. They may go, yeehaw. And, yep. and your money's gone and you're, you're going to have a less than zero chance of getting that back. Uh, and it's going to cost you money to, to figure that out, that you can't get it back. So you pay the mortgage company directly. You get the mortgage caught up and then you're making the payments on time going forward. We're helping the seller build their credit. We have a property now that we have a significantly smaller amount of money invested in. So when we go to sell this property, we're going to sell it at retail plus. Uh, that's not a cross. That's a plus sign. At retail plus, and typically I'm going to mark that up 10% over the market. So that if I'm selling, if it's a $500,000 valued home, I'm going to sell it for $550. Bill, why would anybody sell it? Uh, why would anybody buy it at $550? It's over $500. It's because I'm selling it with owner financing. An appraiser will appraise a property higher if it has owner financing attached to it because it is available to a larger segment of the marketplace. Now, How we've, we got, time? we've got a minute left and uh, we're going to, there's, there's just, there's more than we could cover in one show. So oh, if yeah. you have questions, send us questions. Uh, in the next couple of shows, we're going to start doing a segment, we'll call it the mailbag, where we go and we answer questions, maybe one show a week. Uh, or maybe every show, we'll answer questions that you guys submit so that we're sharing with everybody else. If you have questions about this or anything else, send us an email, uh, contact at InvestorGuysPodcast.com, Kevin, InvestorGuysPodcast.com, Bill at InvestorGuysPodcast.com. Thank you for joining us. We will see you back here in another two days. Have a great Thanks, day. Everybody. Investing Bell. Talk to you later.